0: So, it is Ash Wednesday, and here we are. Here you all are. Have you ever stopped to wonder why? I mean, I know. I know why we're here. We're here so we can have ashes imposed on our foreheads. And we do that to mark the beginning of the season of Lent. Lent, the the 40-day season in the life of the Church that commemorates the time that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. And to remember that, many Christian traditions, including ours, practice the spiritual discipline of fasting during Lent. But why? What do we hope to achieve by it? When I was young, my family belonged to one of those traditions, and one of its requirements was the observance of Lenten discipline. And that meant the children, too. So we were all told we had to give something up for Lent. And and I did. We all did. But I never knew what the rules were. I never knew what we were trying to do and how the rules played into that. The only rules I knew, I, I knew the two loopholes. So there was there's one loophole that they closed which is you couldn't give up something that you didn't want. You couldn't give up broccoli or homework or things like that. You couldn't give up something that would be easy. And the other loophole was that Sundays didn't count. Sundays were not part of Lent. And so if you could make it till Saturday night, all right, you got to indulge yourself in whatever that thing was that you gave up for Lent all day Sunday. So I knew the two loopholes, but I didn't know any of the other rules. And if if there was a set of rules, if my parents had a set of rules, they never shared it with us. So I grew up fasting during Lent. I just did. But I couldn't have told you why I did it. I couldn't have told you what made a fast good or bad, or what I would receive in return. In fact, I'm not sure I ever gave it a moment's thought that I would receive anything in return for fasting. That's the way I remember it. Now, I I may have not remembered it accurately, but that's really the way I remember it. And I don't know, if maybe if I had asked those questions, what are we trying to do here? What are the rules? And what should we receive in return? Maybe my parents could have answered them. I, I don't think so, but maybe they could have. I might be selling them short. But I never asked. And, If I thought about it at all, I probably assumed that the reason we fast is because God wanted us to fast, and God gets what God wants. And he didn't really care how I went about my fast, so long as it wasn't something really easy like spinach. And the only reward that I would get for fasting was that if I did it for 40 days, then the 40 days would be over, and we would be outside of Lent. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about those questions, the questions we have about Lent, or the questions I had, because they are good questions. And our reading tonight has clear, straightforward answers to all of them. And not only that, this reading tonight has one of the most amazing promises, in, uh, certainly in the Hebrew Scriptures, but perhaps in the entire Bible. So as we listen to God's Word, we're going to be listening to to hear the answers to two questions. The first one is, what kind of fast does God want? And the second is, what we can expect in return for fasting. So we are reading the beginning of Isaiah chapter 58. And we don't really know the context. Um, The people have gathered for worship and uh, they they are talking about fasting in it, so maybe there there is in the context of a fast day. Maybe a fast day has just happened, um, and we we hear them saying that that they asked for help, and um, they didn't get what they wanted. So maybe there was some particular uh, circumstance where they were really hoping that God would come through, that they had a bad harvest or, or, you know, the, there was a, a plague or there was, you know, a, a threat from a foreign country or something like that. We don't know what it was, but they had some particular context and, and that is lost to us. But, but they are going to be asking God or they, they assemble for this worship, uh, this, this gathering of, of worship and they don't, hear what they want. Because the first thing God says through the prophet is he says, shout loudly, don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Not not a musical instrument trumpet, but a horn, a horn that you blow on to signal the beginning of worship. So when everybody's here, signal that, that they are here and then call them out. Announce the charge against them. Make a record of their sins. Announce to my people their crime to the house of Jacob, their sins. So what sins? What sins? God says, They seek me day after day, desiring knowledge of my ways, like a nation that acted righteously, that didn't abandon their God. They act like they want to be here, like like this is something that they think that, that will help them. They, they want desire they, they desire knowledge of God's ways they maybe they want to know God better maybe they want to know more about God but God finds it offensive because they act unaware of any wrongdoing they ask me he says for righteous judgments they want to be close to God they seem sincere they seem sincere if, if anything, they act as if it is God who is in the wrong here. Why do we fast and you don't see, they ask? Why, why should we afflict ourselves if you won't notice? Why do we fast? We've done our part. We've checked the box. We've put on the clothing. But God, you haven't done your part. God says... Yet on your fast day you do whatever you want and oppress all your workers. You quarrel and brawl and then you fast. You hit each other violently with your fists. You shouldn't fast as you're doing today if you want to make your voice heard on high. God says, you do what you want when you fast. You will press your workers. And and I don't know. I don't know if they are self-aware or hypocrites. I mean, certainly churches have been plagued with self-aware hypocrites, people who will stab you in the front, out in the world, and then they'll come into church and butter won't melt in their mouth. Maybe that's what he's getting at here, but but maybe it's it's that they, they really don't, they're not aware of any problem. Maybe they don't think they're oppressors. I mean, there's somebody, there's a great big um, online retailer where supposedly the workers have to urinate in bottles because... Their managers don't give them time for bathroom breaks. Last month we saw up in Canada, we saw, or I guess down in over in Canada, we saw the the truckers having the big protest. And you know, we, we can argue with their their position or not, but they felt a the whole you know convoy full of truckers felt that they were being oppressed. And you know, the, the response for a lot of us have for something like that, whichever one that is, is to say, look, those are the working conditions. And if you don't like it, you know, you're free to find another job. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Maybe that's the way we think about it. That it's not that I'm an oppressor, it's that they're snowflakes. And they just need to get over it. This is the real world. This is the way the business works. So that's one possibility. Maybe they just have a compartmentalized mindset. They're not consciously hypocrites. But this is. The God place and out there is the not God place that, you know, God has yet to show up at my work that if you saw that place, you'd know God has never darkened the door, right? And they just compartmentalize their world and it's like, it's not that I'm oppressing my workers. It's that that's the way the world actually works that, that, you know, there's, there's God stuff and then there's worldly stuff. God says, if you're brutalizing each other, if you're brutalizing your workers, do you really think that's the kind of fast that I want? When you come in here, a day of self-affliction, of bending one's head like a reed, and of lying down in mourning clothes and ashes, do you think that's the kind of fast I want? And and the answer is is yes. That's why we're here. That's why we've got the ashes on. That's why we put on mourning clothes. Because we're sure that is exactly what you want. God says, really? Really? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? That all I'm looking for is for you to check the boxes, to put on the clothes, to bow your head? That's all I want? God says, no. No. You know what I want. He asks questions. He says, isn't this the fast that I choose, releasing wicked um, pardon me. Uh, um, releasing wicked restraints, untying the ropes of yoke, setting free the mistreated, and breaking every yoke. The, uh, the yoke, the, it's a harness used to, to um, attach an animal, to a draft animal to a plow, but, or, or for other types of work. But, um, but it's this idea of it's symbolic of any kind of system or, or device that's used to oppress people. So, so uh, break that yoke. Um, uh, he says, "He says, uh, set people free from it, and then, and then, because you know the thought. It's like, well, I'll just keep this around in case I need it some other day." He says, "No, break it. Don't just set them free today, but break that yoke." He says, "He says, do justice. That that if you're oppressing people, stop. Do what is just. Do what is right." And then dismantle the mechanisms that you've used to oppress people. Do justice. And he goes on in verse 7. Isn't the fast that I choose sharing your bread with the hungry and bringing the homeless poor into your house, covering the naked when you see them? Isn't it going beyond the dictates of justice into the area of mercy? Not only giving people what they have coming, but giving them what they need. Going beyond... Justice to mercy. And he concludes verse 7, and not hiding from your own family. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what he means. I was thinking about this, and I kind of thought there's there's probably two things. One of them might be he's saying, look, if you're not ready yet to bring the homeless into your house or share your bread with the hungry, if you're not there yet, can you at least do it for your family? That, you know, God... Is pleased by baby steps, that, that God is hard to satisfy but easy to please. So take a baby step, and maybe that's what he means. But I think in, in the context, it's more likely what he's saying is, look, don't dump your responsibilities on other people. If If your parents can't work anymore, they need to be supported. Don't make them beg so other people have to take care of them. Do your responsibilities at least take care of your own family. So he says, this is the kind of fast I want. I mean, he's phrased it as rhetorical questions, but he's saying, you know what kind of fast I want. To act toward others with mercy and justice. It's not about appearing religious or being hungry. And as soon as he's told us what kind of fast he wants he tells us what we will receive if we do the kind of fast he fast he wants in verse 8 he says then your light will break out like the dawn and you will be healed quickly your own righteousness will walk before you and the lord's glory will be your rear guard he says whatever it was back in verse 3 you were complaining why do we fast and you don't see we afflict ourselves and you don't notice whatever it was that you wished I would do, I will do it. You will be healed quickly. You will have light. You're struggling through some dark, mentally or emotionally dark time. You don't know what to do. You don't know if you should. Your light will break out. You will be healed. You'll be protected. Your righteousness will walk before you, and the Lord will be your rear guard. God will provide whatever that was, but but like a prehistoric well it's not prehistoric but like an ancient infomercial he says but wait there's more there's more i won't just do what you ask me for in verse 3 god makes one of the most astounding promises in scripture he says i won't simply do the thing you ask for i will i will assume a posture of readiness to help. Verse 9, Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and God will say, I'm here. Like a household servant, you're at dinner. It's like it's time for the second course. You say, we're ready. And the servant says, I'm here. Or a parent, you cry for help. Mommy, it hurts. It's okay, I'm here. God says, I will be here. Have you ever been in the situation, uh, if, if you live alone, maybe this isn't going to resonate as much, but if you live with other people, have you ever been in a situation where you're doing something, you've got your hands full, and then the situation d- develops and you need a third hand, and you call out, hey, could somebody help me with this? And you hear back, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> God won't do that. God is not going to say, what do you need? God's going to say, here, how can I help? If, if you remove the yoke from among you, the finger pointing, the wicked speech, he says, he says, you don't know their story. I mean, you may know a bit of it, but show some humility. You don't understand them the way I do. So don't point your fingers. Don't gossip about them. Just remove the yoke and open your heart to the hungry. Provide abundantly for those who are afflicted. Stop finger pointing. Show some humility. Open your heart to the needy. Be merciful. And stop oppressing the afflicted do justice do those things that's it do those things and your light will shine like the darkness shine in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noon whatever it is whether it's emotional or psychological intellectual social whatever your gloom is it will be like the noon and not only that god will not merely help you. God will go on helping you. There's a promise here. God will guide you continually, not just the one time. This isn't a genie who gives you three wishes. God will help you continually. He'll provide for you even in parched places. He will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water that won't run dry. Because God is helpful to you, you will have influence with other people. They will look to you and be inspired by your example. Verse 12, they will rebuild ancient ruins on your account. The foundations of generations past you will restore. You will be called mender of broken walls, restorer of livable streets. Not because you acted religious, not because you skipped dessert, but because you did justice, you loved mercy, and you walked humbly. So I want to finish tonight with some questions for you to give some thought to. The First one is, why did you come here tonight? Are you like I was when I was growing up, that you just assumed, you know, I don't know, God wants this? If that's the case, ask God to speak to you, to show you his motives in bringing you here tonight. The second question What area do you need to work in the most? Do you need to be more just? Are there workers, metaphorical or actual, that you need to give a bathroom break to? Do you need to be more merciful? Do you need to be more humble? If not with the hungry or the homeless, how about with your family? That's not enough. God is hard to satisfy, but he is so easy to please. So start with baby steps. And lastly, what have you compartmentalized away? What part of your life did you not bring in here tonight? I invite you to dig it out. And during the remainder of our gathering tonight, I invite you to give that to God and ask him to transform it. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the promises that you reveal to us in them. And we ask you, God, to to help us fast in a way that pleases you, that helps the oppressed and the needy. Lord, we ask you most of all to change our hearts so that we can want these things as much as you do. We ask these things tonight in Christ's holy name. Amen.